अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांग मनसगोचरम आत्मानम अखिलाधारम आश्रये so today jayant is our co-host and he'll keep a lookout for other people coming in and uh, also for your questions you can write in the chat i encourage you to write uh, questions in the chat and then also we can do some live interaction but before i start today i found something interesting uh, i was reading this bengali book which contains questions and answers with Swami Bhuteshanandaji Maharaj, um, who was the 12th president of our order. And I'm also initiated. I took initiation from him. So in this question answer, he actually, there's a, a portion where he's admonishing the monks. So there is usually used to be a group of monks gathered around him who would put questions to him. So he's giving a gentle scolding. He was always very gentle, but a slightly gentle scolding to the monks. So this is Bhuteshanji Maharaj. And remember, he was 98 years old at that time. But he mentions the Vedanta Sar. And that's why I thought I'll read it out to you. I'll read out the Bengali and translator as we go along. So he is saying to the gathered monks, Don't think you'll read two pages of Vedanta Sar and attain enlightenment. Don't think that because you have given up uh, worldly relations and you know renounced the world, you have done something really great. It's nothing. Eating delicious food, uh, that uh, wanting all, all that stuff that is. A gross kind of desire. Even if you give that up, there is, there is, there are many subtle desires in the mind. Ajamon, just like, keu manlona amake orthat man shammaner bashana. Etau bhog bashana. Nobody is listening to me. Uh, that means a desire for, you know, people should listen to me or give respect to me. That's also a subtle desire. Prashongsha korle moni ananda hai. Kano hai. If people praise, praise you, you feel delighted. But why do you feel delighted? That is because there are these material desires, desires for enjoyment within you. Then he goes on. Kijano, Irokom Tibro Bakulata, Bohujaner Khetre Shara Jiboniu Ashena. So he says that, uh, I mean, skipping some portion, intense desire to know God, the Bengali word vakulata, which is what Sri Ramakrishna has uh, emphasized. That's the essential thing. All other qualities are important, but this is the essential thing. If you have that, you're going to get enlightened. If you don't have that, there's still some time, some, there's still something lacking. And he says, for a lot of people, this kind of intense desire to know God um, does not come even in their whole life. And somebody, a sort of unspoken question, because remember, he's addressing a gathering of monks. So there are so many good monks around you. Uh, why do you think that they're not going to get enlightened or they are not uh, good enough? Or they are not, uh, that they don't want enlightenment. They don't have that intense desire. Why do you think that? Because uh, all of these people, remember, he's sitting in a group of uh, monks. So he makes a very interesting distinction. 
Nishta ache, kintu bakulata nai. He says, Nishta means discipline, dedication. You are sincere and dedicated, many of you. And that he's, he does not doubt it. But that's not the same thing as an intense desire for God realization. That's, that intense desire for God realization, bakulata, is higher than uh, being a very dedicated and sincere monk. Vairagya nahole habena eta nishchit. Unless you have an intense dispassion for the world, for, for worldliness, it won't happen. That is definite. So, words of admonition. <laughs> now let's go back to Vedanta Sara. Um, so what do we have in Vedanta Sara? The whole problem, according to Advaita Vedanta, is that the real which is the absolute, existence, consciousness, bliss, the non-dual absolute. We are not aware of that. And not being aware of the reality, uh, we um, mistake it for uh, a, an unreal world, an appearance. So not knowing the rope, we think it's a snake. So this is called superimposition. In Sanskrit, adhyaropa. And then the whole process is to go back from this appearance to the reality, from the snake back to the rope by a process of inquiry. Why a process of inquiry? Because nothing else will help. The problem here is ignorance of the absolute. So then what is required is knowledge of the absolute. And knowledge is always produced by inquiry, not by anything else. So an inquiry into the real nature, into our real nature, will produce knowledge about our real nature, which will enable us to go from the appearance back to the, um, to the reality from the snake back to the rope, from the world appearance back to Brahman. Um, in place of, so Brahman is like the rope in this example, and the world is like the snake in this example. It's actually a rope, we think it's a snake, that's the problem. Why do we think it's a snake? The root cause is that we don't see it as a rope, we don't, we don't know that it's a rope, that ignorance of the rope is the root cause. It is actually Brahman, the absolute. And we see, see it as a world, as this objective world and as the subjective jiva, this individual sentient being. And then we have samsara. Why do we have it? Because we are ignorant of our real nature, which is Brahman, the real nature of the world also, which is Brahman. And the only way to, do, to solve this problem is to get that knowledge. Getting that knowledge is called de-superimposition. In Sanskrit, apavada. Now that's the plot. I've given you the plot of this entire book. That's what's going to happen. Uh, that's the outline. So now first begins with the superimposition. What has happened? The absolute or what seems to have happened. Uh, Advaita Vedanta will say it has not happened, but it seems to have happened. The absolute existence, consciousness, bliss, non-dual. Satchidanandam Advayam Brahma. That is the reality. We, we read that in verse number uh, 33, I think. I mean, text number 33. Yes. Be, uh, being itself, consciousness itself, and bliss itself, non-dual, Brahman, is the reality. And everything else, starting from ignorance of that. Remember, it's, uh, everything, the whole problem starts from the ignorance of the reality. It's like saying the rope is the reality, and everything else, everything else means from ignorance down to the false snake that you see. Those are appearances. So it is saying here, from ignorance down to the entire insentient universe is um, 
is unreal. It's an appearance. That's what we saw. Now, a term has been introduced, ignorance. So what is this ignorance? What kind of ignorance are we talking? No ordinary ignorance. This is the primal ignorance, uh, which is the cause of samsara, is the cause of this entire play of samsara for us. And we saw a definition in, or an attempt at a definition in text number 34. Uh, the key points are that it is not an absolute reality like Brahman. Ignorance is not an absolute reality like Brahman. It cannot be said to be existent like Brahman. It cannot be said to be non-existent. So in Sanskrit, sad asad bhyam anirvachanyam. Cannot be said to be existent because upon the dawn of knowledge, ignorance disappears. Cannot be said to be non-existent. You can't dismiss it like that because it is the cause of our entire problem. The whole samsara is caused by it. How can it be nothing? So it is a peculiar thing. But one might say it's not logical to speak like that. Either it is or it is not. But that's not the case. There are so many things in our world which fall in that category, even without going into Vedanta, metaphysics, or epistemology. Just look at our lives, um, a movie, or even take the snake on the rope. Does it exist? Not really. So it's nothing? No, not even that. A movie. Is it true? No. It's fiction. Is it, that means it's nothing at all? No, you can't say it's nothing at all. That, how would, then why do you go to a movie hall? or Not these days, of course, but why do you usually go to a movie hall? Why are there Oscar awards? Why are awards? You don't give away awards for nothing. There's a whole industry. Hollywood is standing on that. It's, it's not nothing, definitely. And yet it's not real like the, what we consider to be the facts of our life. So fiction, error, dreams, these are instances of things which you cannot say they exist. You cannot say they do not exist. I gave an, uh, a very nice example, actually, is that telling the truth, keeping quiet, and telling a lie. So telling the truth is like Brahman, the absolute reality. It's true. You say that you tell the truth. Keeping quiet is like totally unreal, does not exist. It's just silent. But in between is something which is not the same as keeping quiet. It's not the same as telling the truth. It's telling a lie. The truth, you cannot refute it because it's true. And you need not refute it. Why would you want to refute the truth? But, um, and, and uh, silence, you cannot refute that either. What, what will you refute? Nothing has been said. And you need not refute it either. Silence does no harm. But the lie is the problem. And the lie can be refuted by the truth and it needs to be refuted. So ignorance can be refuted and it needs to be refuted. It can be corrected and needs to be corrected. What needs to be corrected? Ignorance. Another fact about ignorance is trigunatmakam. It is composed of three, um, three aspects or qualities. Sattva, Rajas, Tamas. So this is taken from Sankhya. And note that because everything in this universe comes after ignorance in the sense, um, I know many of you understand this, but I still want to spell it out. It's very simple in the sense that rope Ignorance of rope, and after that only comes the snake. So in one sense, you can say the snake is a product of ignorance of the rope. Similarly, Brahman, ignorance of Brahman, and the entire universe comes after that. So in one sense, you can say the entire universe is a product of ignorance of Brahman. Being a product of ignorance, and it, since ignorance is um, made of three qualities, sattva, rajas, and tamas, 
The entire universe is made of three qualities, sattva, rajas, and tamas. Another important fact is jnana virodhi. What am I talking about? The definition of ignorance. Jnana virodhi means opposed to knowledge, which is something that is destroyed by knowledge. Ignorance is destroyed by knowledge. And therefore, knowledge of Brahman, of reality, is what we are seeking here. And the other things were said. Um, and then we move on. Now, text number 35 onwards. What's going to happen now? Let me tell you in brief and then I'll start. So, we have two things in place. Uh, Brahman and ignorance, which will, will later will be revealed to be Maya. Uh, so, Brahman and Maya are in place now, are in play. Uh, you might say that's two things. Swami, isn't that ironic when you're talking about non-dualism? It's true, but it's not two, countably two. Countably, it's always only one, Brahman. And Maya is not a countably second thing apart from Brahman. All right. Now, what's going to happen? We are going to introduce um, two more players. Jiva, us, sentient beings, us. And uh, us, not as we see ourselves with fully developed with bodies and minds, but in, in a uh, potential from, from the, the seed from which we come. And God. So Jiva and Ishvara. Sentient beings and God, God of the of religion, that's going to be introduced now. How would you accomplish this? By the instrumentality of Maya. It will be said now, this Maya has, uh, it's capable of division, subdivision. Maya has parts, infinitely divisible. And by the divisibility alone, we will see sentient beings will come forth and God also will come forth. So we are now going to manufactured um, us and God. All right, let's see how that goes. 35. Idam agyanam samashti vyashti abhiprayena ekam anekam itijabhyabhariyate. This ignorance. We must always know what ignorance is he talking about, the one which we have just talked about. This ignorance is said to be one or many according to the mode of observing it, either collectively or individually. So you can speak about this ignorance as altogether, then you call it one, ignorance. And that, that's what will be eventually called Maya. Or you can, you can look at it in part, uh, any number of smaller parts. And then you can in, take them individually, then you will say that it is many. So the question is, is ignorance one or many? Notice, Brahman is always one. It is one without a second. But in ignorance, infinite differentiation is possible. Again, it's not illogical. Notice that when, you are, when we are ignorant of the rope, the same ignorance about the rope can make us, we can make different kinds of mistakes about the rope. Uh, so the classic example goes, somebody saw a snake, somebody saw a discarded flower garland, somebody saw a crack in the earth in the darkness, in the semi-darkness. And it was all along only a rope. Now, three things were seen. Because uh, ignorance has multiple effects, it is divisible. And its effects are many. Um, truth is one, but lies can be many, you see. Um, the same fact, said it, say it as it is, you can say only one thing. But if somebody wants to distort it or spin it, fake news, it can be many kinds. You can have as much fake news as you want. But the truth is always one. 
another person put it so beautifully. I don't know where this quote comes from. There is only one way of standing straight. There are many ways of falling down. So uh, ignorance is multiple. And if you take it separately, then you will have many. So the question is ignorance one or many? Depends. You want to take it all together, you can call it one and it will be called Maya. You take it in part, it will be called many. Um, Brahman, no. There is only one Brahman and without any difference. This not having any difference, uh, I will, I'll repeat this once in a while. Difference can be of three kinds. Um, one difference is between something and something of an entirely different kind. So between human beings and animals and plants, different kind altogether. So that's, that is called vijatiya bheda, difference in kind. And again, it of course depends on how you define kind, define the sets. So you can, humans, animals, plants, they'll all fall in the same kind if you are talking about living and non-living. But if you're talking within living beings, if you are talking about humans, plants, animals, the different kinds. That is called vijatiya bheda, a difference of species, a difference of class. Another kind of difference would be um, sajatiya bheda, difference within the same group. So one human being and another human being, they're different. Uh, both are human beings, they are the same kind, but within the same kind, they're, they're not exactly the same, uh, each of us. So for example, we are all human beings here, but I see that there are 68 of us. So that is 68 of what? What kind of difference? What are you counting in 68? 68 instances of human beings. That's another kind of difference. It is called sajatiya bheda. The third kind of difference is within an entity itself. I am one human being, but within this one itself, there is differentiation. My hands are different from my feet. My tummy is different from my head. So the parts, it's a composite and there are differences in parts. This is called swagata bheda, internal difference. So there are three kinds of difference possible. Difference of kind, difference within the same kind and difference within the same entity. So like a tree and a rock, that's a difference of kind. But between a mango tree and a pear tree, that's a difference within the same kind. They're all trees. And in the branches and roots and flowers and leaves of the tree, that's difference within the same entity, internal difference. So three kinds of difference. That is called swagata bheda. Three kinds of difference. Vijatiya bheda, sajatiya bheda, swagata bheda. If you apply it to philosophy, um, in Vedanta, other, other fields of human uh, Indian philosophy, you will find Sankhya is there something that talks about uh, Vijatiya Bheda, for example. So there is consciousness and there is something that is non-conscious. Prakriti and Purusha, they are of different kinds. It admits that there are differences of, of kind. Within the same kind also, there are differences. So Sankhya says, for example, and Purusha, pure consciousness, but it's not one. There are many pure consciousnesses, multiple Purushas. They are all differences within the same kind. Advaita Vedanta denies both. Uh, there is no Vijatiya Bheda. There is nothing apart from Brahman. In Brahman, there is nothing else apart from Brahman. There is no other entity apart from Brahman. Therefore, it's non-dual. And there are not many Brahmans also. There's only one Brahman. So the, the shadow of this is the monotheism of Abrahamic religions. When they say there are not multiple gods, there is but one god. So that was the great monotheistic doctrine. Swami Vivekananda, therefore, he said, your much vaunted monotheism is but half, is, I'm afraid, halfway house. It's not a complete, um, you know, you have to take it further. 
you have not taken it as far as it goes. It's still one God, but as set off against the creation of God, different from creation. So, so for example, religious monotheism, for example, does not say that there is, denies that there are different gods. So Sajati Abheda is denied in God, but it is admitted between God and God's creation. So Vijati Abheda is there. God and God's creation are different. And then what about internal differentiation? So something like the Vishishtadvaita philosophy, which says, yes, there is nothing separate from Brahman. There is only one reality. It's one. And there are no, there are no two or three or multiple Brahmans. There is only one Brahman and nothing apart from Brahman. But Vishishtadvaita admits internal difference within Brahman. So Brahman is composed of uh, consciousness and it is, it is composed of sentient and insentient parts. The entire universe, the insentient universe, material universe is a part of Brahman. And different from that are the multiple sentient beings which we are. We are all parts of Brahman and Brahman is a kind of an organic unity of all of these. So that is what Vishishtadvaita says, not Advaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta denies that also. Within Brahman also there are no differences. So there is not more Brahman or less Brahman. Um, there are not parts of Brahman. And it is exactly one and non-dual, uh, featurelessly so. So Advaita Vedanta is in one sense very simple, but also very radical that way. Not so ignorance or maya. Multiple differences are possible within that. So that's what has been said now. Now, we are going to use this capacity of maya to be differentiated to, to generate now God and us. So let's see how that goes. 36, text number 36. As for instance, trees considered as an aggregate are denoted as one, namely the forest, or water is collectively named as the reservoir, so also ignorance existing in jivas being diversely manifested is um, collectively represented as ones as in such scriptural passages as there is one unborn etc from Swetashvata Rupanishad. So what's been said here? This is Tathahi to explain further. He gives two examples. The author gives two examples. One is consider um, trees, lots and lots of trees. And if you take them all together, you can name them a forest. So that's one. It's one forest, although it's composed of many, many trees. That's one example. A second example, he says, look at the vast reservoir. You know, when I go for a walk, sometimes you see the Jacqueline Kennedy Reservoir here in Central Park. Millions and billions of, suppose, tiny droplets of water. And these billions and min millions and billions of droplets of water taken together are called one vast reservoir. One reservoir, though it's composed of billions of drop droplets of water. So these are two examples he gives. For what? Just like that, the primeval ignorance found in each one of us, which we sink into in deep sleep, 
which operates with, within us all the time because we say we don't know that we are Brahman. So that don't know, that which is appearing in all of us, um, all of that taken together can be considered one primal ignorance. Just like many trees together, one forest, many drops of water together, one reservoir. Similarly, all ignorances together, uh, one, mm, one cosmic ignorance. Do you have any authorization for that, for taking ignorance as one? He says, yes. And he quotes from the Shvetashvaru Upanishad, which says, Ajam Ekam, unborn one. So there's one. That one is the important word. Upanishad talks of, in some cases, it talks of ignorance as being one. So if you want to see the text, those who want to see the Sanskrit, Tathahi, to explain further, Yatha, as, for example, Brikshanam Samashti uh, taking a collection of trees, you can call it a forest. You can have uh, one forest. Yathava, or else, like, second example, Jalanam Samashti Abhiprayana, taking a lot of water, that means lots of drops of water. Jalashayati, you can call it one reservoir. Tatha, exactly like that. Nanaptvena Pratibhasamananam, appearing in multiple ways. Multiple ways means in all kinds of living beings, all of which have the common thing that we do not know ourselves as Brahman. In uh, all of that, Jivagata Jnananam, the ignorance found in all sentient beings. Samashti Abhiprayana, you can take it all together, Ekattva Vipadesha, you can call it one ignorance. So, uh, now the result will be shown. So what? 37. One more point is being made here. This totality, uh, okay, let me read it out. This aggregate of ignorance on account of its appearing associated with perfection, pure intelligence of Brahman has a preponderance of pure sattva. Let's put it this way. This combined totality, which is the drops of primeval ignorance in all of us, is actually... Uh, extraordinarily powerful. It's extraordinarily powerful. Uh, it has an excess of sattva guna. Remember, ignorance is made of three. So sometimes there is sattva, sometimes rajas, and sometimes tamas. All three are present, but in different times and different occasions, one something will dominate over the other. In the case of this totality, uh, sattva guna do dominates. The power of sattva dominates, which which will endow it with power, excellence, glory, and we'll see how that leads to God. It might seem strange how, if it's ignorance in, in us, how more of that ignorance could be anything good. If I am ignorant and putting it all together and you call it Maya, and that's God's ignorance. God seems to be a bigger fool than I am. I, I know very little. And if we all know very little, putting all those very littles together. How, if you say that's God's uh, ignorance, what a strange thing to say about God. But it doesn't work that, that way. I mean, I knew some Swamis who would teach this text and they would get very annoyed when they say consciousness associated with this total ignorance is called God. That's going to come now. Consciousness associated with individual ignorance is us. So what is this? Consciousness associated with ignorance is God. What a terrible thing to say about God. Not that way. Sri Ramakrishna's example is very nice here. He says, imagine a cobra which has the poison glands, you know, the poison in its mouth. All of that is there, all the poison. And with a little bit of that poison, it can knock out its prey, a mouse or a frog, just a tiny bit of that. 
Yet the entirety of poison is there in the, in the mouth of that cobra, in the glands. It doesn't do anything to that cobra. In fact, on the other hand, it's the power of the cobra. It's the capacity of the cobra. Similarly, um, what for ignorant sentient beings like us, enough to knock us out into samsara, is a tiny bit of that, that ignorance. Altogether, it is actually the power, the glory of, uh, of God. So that's what makes, that's what powers the entire um, universe. This, uh, this, this totality of ignorance, which the name is Maya. So that Maya is the power of God. Taken in totality, it's not a limiting factor. It's actually, it's actually a power. It's the greatest of all powers. It's the glory of God. Taken in its, in its effect, individual effect, it knocks us out into samsara. It, it makes us tiny and miserable and, and trapped in samsara. So that's the example Sri Ramakrishna gave. Um, what else did I want to say? Oh, I saw one of the comments somebody had written about the last Vedanta Sara class when I mentioned ignorance and the Rutledge Handbook of Ignorance. Somebody actually looked it up. And there's a very nice quote, which that person has quoted. He says that, um, in, in that book it's written, it's not really ignorance which is uh, so much the problem. It's ignorance of the fact that we are ignorance. That is fatal. <laughs> this is good. We, that is really true. Um, we are not aware of our ignorance and that's what really causes all the problems. Mark Twain's saying, you know, which I really liked, he says that it's not the fact that we do not know, but rather the fact that we say it just ain't so that gets us into trouble. It's not just ignorance itself. We have just the opposite. And that's what gets us into trouble. Another example of this total and partial ignorance one Swami gave was of elections, which is peculiarly relevant now. Uh, he, he said, imagine in uh, elections, the, each one of us has one vote to cast. And the one who gets all the votes or the majority of the votes becomes powerful, the ruler. So the, the, those who have one vote, uh, they are the ruled. And that person who gets all the votes is the ruler. So similarly, the one ignorance makes us the ruled. And all ignorance taken together actually makes God the ruler. Unless, well, I will not go into commentary on the present elections. Um, what else do I want to say here? Okay, let's go ahead. Oh, one more thing I forgot to mention is that uh, two examples. Why two examples? Why the reservoir and water? Why forest and trees? It's because there are two sub-schools of Vedanta. Uh, the Avacheda Vada and the Pratibhimba Vada. The limitation theory, the limitation school and the reflection school. Which talks about the fundamental question. What is the relationship between that absolute reality and the manifestation? So is it a limitation of that absolute reality or is it a reflection of that absolute reality? So the limitation school and absolute uh, and the reflection school, they are sub-schools which developed after Shankara and they have fought battles for centuries. So th this is an introductory textbook. So the author has to get students from both camps. So he politically, he, he is very, uh, there's a compromise. He gives both examples, whatever you like. All right. 
then so it so this totality of ignorance is glory is power that's the point now 38 here comes god etadupahitam chaitanyam sarvagnyatva sarveshwaratva sarvaniyantritvaadi gunakam abhyaktam antaryami jagatkaranam ishvara iti cha vyapadishyate sakala agyana avabhasakatvat yas sarvagnya sarvavit iti shrutehe consciousness associated with this is endowed with such qualities as omniscience universal lordship all controlling power etc and is designated as the undifferentiated the inner guide the cause of the world and ishvara on account of its being the illuminator of the aggregate of ignorance as in the shruti passage who knows all generally and who perceives all particularly from the mundaka upanishad okay that's a lot to be going on with this is the god of religion at least the advaitic take on it advaita vedanta take on it what is that remember brahman is still there let's not forget behind all of it the rope is still there so that brahman that consciousness chaitanyam means consciousness that pure consciousness associated with covered up with limited by uh, reflected in this uh, totality of of ignorance is now has gets extraordinary powers what gets powers that consciousness what are the powers sarvagnyatva all knowing omniscient sarveshwaratva omnipotent controller of everything sarva niyantritva uh, the inner controller uh, see it also means the one who gives the results of karma is a master of causality cause and effect and uh, this this connection is made by ishvara it adi gunakam and many other such extraordinary you can we can call them superpowers the original superhero so consciousness now becomes god that consciousness that same brahman now becomes god becomes or appears as god god of the universe which has not yet come about to be produced it gets four names now what gets four names not the ignorance uh, it is god that consciousness now gets four new names antaryami the inner controller it's the same consciousness now within all of us within all of maya within all of um, the manifested universe jagat karanam cause of the universe See, this is the name by which god is understood in all theistic universe uh, theistic religions god is the creator in christianity in islam in judaism in vaishnavism shaivism shaktaism in hinduism all all the theistic religions one common characteristic is god is the creator of the universe so here it, it's there it gets the name jagat karanam the old example will still serve us well the rope can now be called the cause of the snake or if there are three people making three kinds of mistakes the rope is now the in one sense is the cause of the snake and the garland and the crack in the earth what have you every kind of mistake the rope is at the source of all of that and rope plus its ignorance not the rope in itself rope covered up by the ignorance of the rope is the cause of the mistakes snake crack in the earth garland brahman in association with this totality of ignorance is now the cause of the universe jagat karanam third name um 
Oh, one name I, I, I dropped earlier, Abhyaktam, unmanifest. So Ishwara is unmanifest. Compared to the manifest universe which is going to come, is unmanifest. So four names, unmanifest, Abhyaktam, Antaryami, the inner controller, Jagatkaranam, uh, the, uh, the cause of the universe or creator of the universe, Ishwara, God. Literally, Ishwara means the Lord. Iticha Vyapadishyate, it is now called. Four names we have given to this consciousness. What, which consciousness? Brahman. And the original reality. Now it has four names. Sakala Agyana Avabhasa Kattvat. Because it is the manifester of or it shines upon the entirety of ignorance. In all our minds, when we fall asleep, when we are not aware of the entire universe, we are not aware of our own bodies, we are not even dreaming, just blankness. That uniform blankness in all of us is illumined by consciousness alone. That consciousness plus the totality of that blankness is God actually. This, this framework he has taken from Mandukya. We have gone to the original source. Remember, we already studied the source from which he's just um, sort of simplifying the whole thing. Um, we, we'll see that later. What is the justification for making such claims? Always he has to quote from the Upanishads. He quotes from the Mundaka Upanishad, Yas Sarvagya Sarvavit, um, that who is the knower of all in general and the knower of each particular thing. So knower of all, the one which illumines the totality of Maya. And the knower of each particular thing, the one which illumines ignorance in all of us. That is called Ishwara. Abhyaktam, unmanifest. Um, Antaryami, the inner controller, the Jagat Karanam, cause of the universe, and Ishwara, God. These are the things which now Brahman has become. Become within quotes. Not really. Brahman is still Brahman. All this is within Adhyaropa, superimposition. We are making mistakes here. He is telling us a tale. Um, what else did I want to say here? All right. This looks good. All right. One important thing. Always remember, he is. Many people make a mistake. Even people who studied Vedanta, they, they think that oh, he's talking about Maya here. He's not talking about Maya. Maya is like the uniform. The totality of ignorance is like the uniform the actor puts on. So, when say somebody is a, a police officer, puts on the uniform and goes out and does his or her job as a police officer. Now the uniform is not the police officer. The person is the police officer, but the person requires the uniform to do his or her duties, to get the power of being a police officer, to act as a police officer. Similarly, consciousness requires the uniform of and the equipment of Maya to be God and to do all the functions and activities and display the powers of God. But Maya itself is not God. It's that consciousness itself which is God. In um, another terminology, the absolute reality is called Nirguna Brahman, the uh, non-Brahman without attributes. And this, what we're talking about now, is called Saguna Brahman, Brahman with attributes. What attributes? All the powers given to it by Maya. Right. Um, before we go on. All right, one more. We've talked about God. Let's talk about God's Maya. 39. 39. Ishwara Siyam Samashti Akhila Karanatvat 
ಕಾರಣ ಶರೀರಂ ಆನಂದ ಪ್ರಚು ಪ್ರಚುರತ್ವಾತ್ ಕೋಶವದ್ ಆಚ್ಛಾದಕತ್ವಾತ್ ಚಾನಂದಮಯ ಕೋಶ ಸರ್ವೌಪರಮತ್ವಾತ್ ಸುಷುಪ್ತಿ ಅತೇವ ಸ್ಥೂಲ ಸೂಕ್ಷ್ಮ ಪ್ರಪಂಚ ಲಯಸ್ಥಾನಂ ಇತಿಚೌಚ್ಯತೆ ದಿಸ್ ಡಿಸ್ಕ್ರಿಪ್ಷನ್ ಆಫ್ ಮಾಯಾ this aggregate of ignorance associated with ishvara is known as the causal body on account of its being the cause of all and as the anandamaya kosha the blissful blissful sheaf on account of its being full of bliss and covering like a sheaf it's further known as the cosmic sleep as into it everything is dissolved and for this reason it is designated as a state of dissolution of this gross and subtle phenomenon big mouthful but it's um, pretty clear what they are talking about this totality remember the entire poison in the mouth of the cobra this totality of ignorance which is at the beck and call of of ishvara another name given to ishvara is mayadhisha and we are mayadhina that words mayadhisha and mayadhina means mayadhisha lord of maya the controller of maya is god mayadhina means subjugated by maya under the domain of maya that's us all right so what about this maya ishvarasya yam samashti this totality of ignorance which belongs to ishvara the uniform of ishvara let us say the uniform of consciousness it is called the causal body whose causal body god's causal body why akhila karanatvat because it's the cause of everything in this universe entirety of the universe is caused by that you might say wait a minute didn't you say god is the cause of everything just now now you're saying maya is the cause of everything both what is the cause of that mistaken snake the snake which you are seeing by mistake is it ignorance of the rope or the rope you have to say both without the rope there would be no mistake at all but without ignorance also there would be no mistake at all so rope and ignorance together make us produce the mistake about the snake similarly consciousness brahman plus that ignorance uh, produces the is the cause of this world appearance so it is good it is correct to call that ignorance also cause it is the causal body of god then ananda prachuratvat koshavat achchadakatvat anandamaya kosha another name for this maya is it is it is full of bliss and it hides that uh, the absolute because it hides it's called a sheaf and because it's full of bliss it's called the bliss sheath so it's the blissful sheath or in sanskrit anandamaya kosha it is the anandamaya kosha of god and that's where everything ends the entire universe disappears into it at the end of creation and when when the universe is dissolved you know the uh, the common hindu cosmology was creation and the existence of the universe and then everything is pulled back it dissolves back into a primordial source and again there is a creativity it, it comes forth again a, cyc- a cyclical universe so when everything is absorbed back into its cause then it is called sushupti it's the deep sleep like our deep sleep when we go into it at the end of every day similarly god so it's uh, vishnu in the iconography he's a bit of a couch potato so he is always relaxing back in the bed and there is this ocean around him the causal ocean into which the entire universe has disappeared so vishnu alone is there with his power lakshmi so the two are uh, together which is consciousness and shakti at the stage of cosmic dissolution the entire universe has disappeared that's why consciousness is shown as taking a nap that's why it's called sushupti this this uh, shakti is called sushupti and 
it is the place of dissolution sthula sukshma prapanchalaya sthanam the entire physical universe and the entire subtle universe subtle universe means all our minds so all the all the worlds the physical worlds plus our our subtle bodies our minds intellects all of that all together it all disappears back into this totality of ignorance at the end of a cosmic cycle therefore it is called layasthanam the place of dissolution of cosmic dissolution so maya has got four names now karana sharira the causal body of god uh, anandamaya kosha the bliss sheet of god sushupti the state of deep sleep of god and layasthanam the place of dissolution of the universe four names good we have god now if you have questions about god let's deal with that next next in order of production are we, we are going to come out now next so let me see the chat there's a lot of activity going on there um rama says you mentioned that ignorance is made of three gunas can you explain this a little more so when you say brahman what is it the question will come is that just a name is absolute ultimate reality fine but what is it i mean is a laptop fine but what is it made of so i'll say ceramics and steel and glass and what not um what is brahman made of so this is a very crude way of putting it what is brahman being consciousness bliss fine then what is maya ignorance but what is it made of if you ask so the three things sattva rajas tamas and the whole thing is of course borrowed from sankhya it was already pre existing and so it goes back to the upanishads also so that's all and what is sattva rajas tamas it that will take a long time um sattva is the quality of i mean you see it all around you for example within ourselves the quality of uh, of of serenity of calm of peace of light of intelligence that's sattva of dynamism and activity and ambition and uh, desire uh, activity all of that is rajas and dormancy of lethargy of dullness of solidity is tamas and all three are necessary for making a universe all three are necessary for making a person also and depending on the kind the predominance of each one the personality types also differ we also differ from time to time throughout the day sometimes you are dull and slow sometimes you are energetic and active sometimes you are calm and meditative so it goes like that then Swamiji, can I ask a follow-up on that? I just yes. asked it. Uh, I, I can understand. Um, uh, for me, I'm able to relate three, these three gunas as qualities of or manifested manifested qualities of uh, ignorance. But, we, but when we say ignorance is made up of these three yeah. qualities, then it, true. Uh, these we see as qualities in our mind. For example, you'll see the same thing in the body. You'll see the same thing in the universe outside also. there'll be something that is solid and there's something more energetic something maybe more intensely more energetic so sattva rajas tamas out in the universe but um so that was a sankhyan world view why would you say that uh, ignorance is made up of these things that comes from the sankhyan idea remember all this is borrowed from the sankhyan idea of nature the term for that in in sankhya is prakriti i'm sorry to bombard you with so many terms we have got agyanam ignorance we have got maya we have got prakriti now prakriti means nature so the sankhyans reasoned in this way what is the common thing that you find in this entire universe they boiled it down to these these three dispositions sattva rajas tamas 
So everything is pervaded by these three. And they are dynamic, they keep changing. So they said, the Sankhans reasoned, at the root of all of this, at the seed of all of this, must be the root of the universe called Prakriti, root nature. Prakriti is root nature. And the root nature must be composed of these three things. Because you find them everywhere, the root must be that. See, even in modern physics, when you finally are trying to find out a basic stuff of the universe. So what is the basic stuff of the universe? That by which, from which everything else is built up. So that's how the Sankhians reasoned. Advaitins don't go in too much into that. Why not? Because the basic insight about Advaita about all of this is, don't take it too seriously. The Sankhians take it very seriously because it's real for the Sankhians. This is a real universe. So we want, really want to know what it's made of. That's the stuff of reality. According to Advaita Vedanta, it's not a real universe. It's an appearance of the reality. And the reality we know is being, consciousness, bliss. So this appearance is made of Sattva Rajasthamas. And they are also ultimately not real. Right. Then Gloria is asking, is the desire to have the body-mind validated as my reality that is behind all the worldly desires? Correct. Yes. All the worldly desires are manifested in our desire to be a body, uh, to be a limited being. Nirjari is saying that Swamiji, so Maya is the ultimate error, the superset of all errors. And everything after that, including Jiva and Saguna God, are errors within Maya. To understand Maya, we have to be a Jiva. Is that correct? Okay. I was hoping people wouldn't ask this question. Let's put it this way. Um, first, are they all uh, errors? Is God an error? Be careful, very careful here. What does Advaita Vedanta say? What does Advaita Vedanta say about you? Are you an error? No. You are the absolute. But what you think of yourself right now as this limited being, what we think of ourselves as this little thing, subject to so many problems, subject to so many limitations, this, this is an error. You are not this. But if you correct this error, you will not disappear into nothing. If you correct the error of a snake, it will not disappear into nothing. It will be revealed as the rope. If you correct the error of being a jiva, a limited sentient being, what will you be revealed? Revealed as Brahman, as the infinite absolute. That's why Advaita Vedanta says, Brahma Satyam Jagat Mithya Jiva Brahmaivanapara. Brahman alone is the reality. The world is an appearance. And you, the sentient being, are none other than the absolute. You might say the world is also the absolute. Correct. But to realize the absolute, you have to first pull back from the world. So, you can look at the snake in two ways. The snake is an appearance. Correct. The snake is nothing but the rope. That's also correct. You can see the world as nothing but Brahman. Or you can see the world as an appearance of Brahman. It is useful for spiritual practice, first of all, is to dismiss the world as an appearance of Brahman. And yourself, to find out your own Brahman nature. So, the jiva, the jivas, jivatva, I'm making it very precise now. Jivatva, the insentient, the, the, the sentient limited beingness is an error. But the Unlimited sentience, sentience, unlimited consciousness is not an error. That's our real nature. The moment you say jiva is an error, it means I am an error. I am not an error. I am the absolute. In error, I'm thinking of myself as this. So I'm wrong about myself, but I myself am not a mistake. I'm mistaken about myself. Similarly, God also is not an error. 
Ishwara is not an error. That's the many people make the mistake. Uh, Ishwara's, to be very precise, Ishwara's Ishwaratva is an error. God's Godhood is an error. So God is not God. No, God is something much more than God. God is the absolute reality. So that's what Advaita Vedanta wants to say. But this is all very simple compared to the actual question which is being asked here. To understand Maya, we have to be a Jiva. I don't know if that's what you want to ask. What it reminds me of is a terrible, terrible question that lies at the heart of all of this. You know what, what this, I don't know if you're asking this. I hope not. The question is this. You might say, wait a minute. You are saying that there's an absolute and there's a mistake about the absolute. And the absolute now thinks of itself as a sentient being, limited sentient being, right? You say, yes. But to be mistaken, you already have to be that limited sentient being. Who is mistaken about the absolute? Us. So I already have to exist to be mistaken about the absolute. I know I'm, I'm what you are saying is, I do not know the absolute. I agree. Any one of us who is honest will say, all right, I do not know myself as Brahman. I don't get it. So I'm ignorant. If, that, if that's what you want to call as ignorance, I admit to my ignorance. But if you say that ignorance is the cause of Brahman appearing as me, I don't buy that. Because I first have to exist in order to be ignorant. I must be a jiva. Otherwise, are you saying who is ignorant? Is Brahman ignorant then? You cannot say Brahman is ignorant. And yet you cannot say the jiva is the product of ignorance because then the jiva would have to exist to be ignorant. Did you see the problem? Let me put it more precisely. The question is about the locus in Sanskrit, ashraya. Where is this ignorance? This is one of the questions that Ramanuja throws at Shankara, at Advaita Vedanta. Seven objections to the theory of ignorance. Sapta Vidhanupapatti. I didn't want to go there. You know, it's like a, if you put this question, system crash, fatal error. <laughs> Advaita grinds to a halt. Where is your blessed ignorance? In Brahman or in the Jiva? Now there are two answers to this. One school of Advaitins bites the bullet and says, it is in Brahman. So is Brahman ignorant? No, not at all. As we just said, it is the power of Brahman. And uh, so that's one group. The other group is that, uh, that it is in the Jiva. But wait a minute, didn't we just say the jiva has to exist first to be ignorant? How can uh, ignorance exist in the jiva and still produce the jiva? They say that it's a chicken and egg question. The previous ignorance is the basis for us appearing as jivas now with our own ignorance. And this ignorance is the basis for us continuing as jivas life after life. So a chicken and egg solution that begs the question, how did it start? They will say it did not start. What came first, chicken or egg? Can't answer it. What came first, ignorance or the sentient being? If he says ignorance is in sentient being and makes it ignorance in the next birth, fine. But how did this start again? This they did not start because ignorance is beginningless. Ignorance is beginningless with an end. That's a cop out. He's just trying to escape from the question. So I'm giving you a little taste of Advaita dialectics. All this went on for hundreds of years, attack and counterattack. It must have had a beginning. All this trouble must have had a beginning. You're saying it's beginningless. Ignorance is beginningless. How is ignorance beginningless? How can it, something like this be beginningless? It must have a start. No. In fact, 
if you look at it it's nothing very difficult all kinds of ignorance are beginningless think about it uh, I've, I've said this earlier i, I didn't I, and this was brought to my notice by professor jn mahanti in a class in uh, institute of culture gold park in kolkata he said while talking about the beginninglessness of ignorance it sounds very abstract but it's a common experience everybody has this experience you don't know german so many of us said no we don't then let me ask you you are ignorant about german yes when did this ignorance start at our birth so you knew german before your birth no 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 i did so this you have to admit this ignorance is beginningless but the moment you pick up a textbook of german it comes to an end ignorance disappears similarly ignorance of our real nature is beginningless and it comes to an end when knowledge is produced so there are two schools split apart on trying to answer where is ignorance so there is a school of padmapada which says ignorance is in brahman but not not as ignorance but as the power of brahman maya like the snake so maybe sri ramakrishna belongs to this school because he gave the snake and the uh, poison analogy and the other school vachaspati mishra's bhamati school which says ignorance is in all the jeevas in all of us um there's a third school of sureshwar acharya called the vartika school who i think is actually most logical he says it doesn't matter it seems to be a logical question but it's it's a foolish question actually there is no jeeva there is no ignorance ultimately it is only brahman no answer you give within the realm of ignorance will be perfectly satisfactory you take your choice uh, so there's no use he said <laughs> this whole thing about making different sub schools ignorance in brahman ignorance in jeeva and then fighting over it for 500 years it is absolutely not necessary it doesn't it's it's not a serious question uttarakhand sadhus in uttarakhand in the himalayas they give a very nice answer to this say do not try to establish ignorance agyan ko siddh mat kijiye mahatma ji agyan ko kaatiye don't try to establish ignorance try to cut at the root of ignorance generate knowledge and dissipate ignorance and you are free if you try to investigate ignorance you will tie yourself into into knots yeah again not unusual there was a book john barrow called impossibility he is a mathematical physicist uh, he shows in every field of human investigation mathematics physics especially physics mathematics and others also you end up with paradoxes when the field advances far enough first of all there's ignorance then you investigate then it starts making tremendous progress you know so much and so much and so much then you hit a brick wall every case you will end up with a paradox uh, why so he calls it the book is called impossibility he came here uh, in uh, a couple of years ago in the new school there was a conference the conference was ignorance i mentioned this earlier so in, in the ignorance conference people were invited from different subjects top people across the world in uh, literature in uh, history in in physics so john barrow came and gave a talk Uh, about it very nice uh, uh, gen- gentleman i think he's british probably uh, so a brilliant talk even even for us lay people he made it so uh, some of you had gone there i think for that uh, event so he talked about ignorance in physics the the role it plays impossibility i remember reading about this biologist in in biology yeah this biologist who writes when i ask what is life itself we understand it down to molecular level now and yet we don't grasp exactly what is going on in life uh, he says when i investigate what is life 
I start at the level of the body and living and go deeper organs living tissues living cells living intracellular structures and they go further and further down at some point I don't know where life has slipped out of my hands I've ended up with non-living matter organic matter non-living matter as I go higher up somewhere life has appeared exactly where paradoxical mysterious same with uh, physics when the heart of physics is they're desperately trying hard to come up with the unified theory mathematics of course good Godel who was here in the in Princeton um, the Godel's incompleteness theorem and the whole uh, the whole project that mathematics will be complete that was uh, uh, demolished by Godel's incompleteness theorems at the heart of all studies you end up with paradoxes Yes, Mark Twain's uh, comment. What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure that it just ain't so. Yes, Mark Twain. <laughs> Does Vedanta Sara differentiate between God and Avatar or provide definition of Avatar? Absolutely not. It doesn't even go there. It's outside the syllabus for, <laughs> for Vedanta Sara. Is the position of Durga as worshipped in the equivalent to Ishvara as described here? Absolutely. So Durga, Kali, all the forms of gods and goddesses in Hinduism are exactly what? From an Advaitic perspective, this is what we talked about just now. Consciousness in association with Maya. This total, you can call it totality of ignorance. You can call it Maya. You can call it Prakriti. You can call it Shakti. Now, the confusion comes when you say Shakti, Kali is Shakti, Durga is Shakti. So is this um, neither real not uh, nor unreal this kind of mysterious thing is that what is Durga no 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 that's the uniform so when you're talking about Shakti worship of Shakti you're actually talking about worship of God here Ishwara same God but when you're talking about Ishwara the power itself can sometimes be called Shakti that's why so is Kali Maya is Durga Maya no they are Mahamaya Mahamaya means consciousness with the power of Maya Is it Brahman's Maya or is it God's Maya? It's God's Maya. Brahman means if you say Nirguna Brahman, there's no Maya there. The moment there is Maya, Nirguna Brahman itself appears as Saguna Brahman. So it's God's Maya or Saguna Brahman's Maya. Can I get a recording of this lecture? Yes, which lecture? This one, this one is being recorded anyway. Um, rope plus ignorance is equal to snake. If rope is Ishwara and ignorance is Maya, then what is the snake? The universe, don't worry, the snake is going to come. <laughs> it's the rest of superimposition over the next one or two months, we are going to build up the snake. Uh, how can Maya, which is ignorance, be full of bliss? So your deep sleep, full of bliss or not? Not in the sense of you are thrilled or delighted, but the sense of no trouble. Deep sleep is peace, no trouble. Maya is, uh, is the deep sleep of Ishwara. Maya Adhisha is Saguna Brahman and Maya, Maya Atita is uh, Nirguna Brahman, correct. Maya Atita is Nirguna Brahman. Maya, Maya Atita means transcending, my, beyond Maya. Maya Adhisha, Lord of Maya, Saguna Brahman. And we, unfortunately, are Maya Adhina, crushed under Maya, under the wheels of Maya. Is the enlightened person devoid of the three gunas? Be careful here. You, you, you should be able to answer carefully here. Is the person devoid of three gunas? Is the body devoid of three gunas? No. Product of Maya. 
Is the mind devoid of three gunas? No, product of Maya. But is the consciousness devoid of three gunas? Yes. Definition, remember, consciousness is beyond uh, uh, Maya, beyond ignorance. So definitely it is beyond. So the, what is the difference then? The enlightened person knows I am consciousness. I'm Brahmasmi. So are you beyond the three gunas? Yes. As this person, Ramakrishna, are you beyond the three gunas? No. See, this is the beauty of Vedanta Sara. It's a little artificial, it's a little limited, it's too introductory, not deep enough, but it gives you the conceptual apparatus to answer most of these questions. So very soon, within a few classes, I'll start throwing the questions back at give you, giving you assignments about these questions. Outsourcing. Um, or today's lecture, it'll be there. It'll be uploaded. Very good. Can we have one or two questions from the audience here? Jayant. Uh, Girish. Thank you. Um, Swamiji, the, um, a, a basic question about the, the rope appearing as a snake. Uh, the, the rope and the snake sort of resemble each other. I, I think the word is homomorphic. So we can fully understand that such an error can happen. But presumably Brahman and the empirical world do not resemble each other at all. So it's a little harder to comprehend how this particular objective world can appear as a superimposition on Brahman. Right. Also, if, also if this world does not resemble Brahman at all, why does it appear as this particular world as not something else? Why? Right. This movie okay. in particular. Right. So two questions. Uh, first question, again, you'll be happy to know that all of these have been asked hundreds of years ago. And so they have been discussed. Yeah. So errors can be of various kinds. Snake and rope is a one kind of error. But imagine the screen and the movie. There can be anything, any number of things in the movie which do not resemble a screen at all. Uh, so that is possible. Uh, there is something in the desert which does not resemble water, but looks like water. Um, a completely colorless sky appears blue. So that's possible. Some kind of ignorance, it can happen that you have an extraordinary manifestation, which is not at all like Brahman. And yet, here is a crucial thing. Is the world unlike Brahman? No, no. Just like there is some homomorphism between the snake and the rope, there is similarity between Brahman and the world. What is the similarity? That is our, our door to enlightenment. Very important. What gives us a clue that this is uh, actually Brahman? First of all, exists. Easiness. Everything that we know, obviously it exists. The greatest of all questions. If you investigate existence itself, not the things which exist. This connects to your second question. If you investigate the things which exist, you will end up with science. Relations between those things, cause and effect, that's science. Vedanta will say the entire thing is within the realm of Maya, the entire scientific investigation. Not that it is false, but it's within the realm of Maya. Within the realm of Maya, you will have, you know, it's amazing how thousands of years before uh, uh, the modern scientific paradigm, you know, who gave the false, Thomas Kuhn's falsifiability, uh, that measurability is, is a criterion of science. Thousands of years earlier, they said these are the characteristics of Maya. What? Falsifiability, measurability. So um, it's not that Vedanta is dismissing science as unreal. Science is unreal compared to Brahman, but it is in the realm of Maya. 
If you investigate in, you, uh, in individual existing things and the relations between them, you will get science. Um, but if you investigate existence itself, it will point to Brahman, the pure being. Another clue, there's consciousness. The importance of consciousness is just being understood by modern science. I've spoken about this on other occasions. I keep harping about it, uh, the hard problem of consciousness and that how consciousness is all important to us. You've been reading that uh, the theories of existence by um, Sprigg. So yes. when he talks about idealism, he quotes from Bradley. And Bradley, the Oxford philosopher, um, about 150, uh, in, at the beginning of the 20th century, he says, the only kind of existence is consciousness. And he means it straight up. It, it, says it should be obvious. We cannot think about anything that exists other than consciousness. That seems to go quite against the realistic worldview we have. We have consciousness and things which exist outside consciousness. He says, where do you have evidence of anything that exists outside consciousness? Everything that you speak about, every experiment that you do, all science that you do, even the idea of existence is within consciousness only. It is appearing to consciousness, in consciousness and nothing but consciousness. He calls it sentient. Uh, I cannot but resist the impulse to read it out to you. That portion from Bradley. Just imagine, an Oxford Don, it's just pure Vedanta. So Bradley put it thus, we perceive on reflection that to be real must be to fall within sentience, within consciousness, in our words. Sentient experience, in short, is reality. And what is not this is not real. He's not making a dogmatic statement. He's saying it should be obvious. We may say, in other words, that there is no being or fact outside of that which is commonly called psychical existence. That means conscious existence. Feeling, thought, and volition are all materials of existence. And there is no other material, actual or even possible. You also see here the fatal error which he's making, that he is not distinguishing between mind and consciousness. That's why he's saying materials of existence are uh, thoughts, feelings, volition. No, thought, feeling, volition are the mind. The consciousness behind them is the material of existence is existence itself. And Sprague, he notices at the end, towards the end, he says, all right, this consciousness, what is it? Notice just what we are discussing today, exactly that question. That these absolute idealists have differed as to whether their conception of the absolute is to be taken as a philosophically improved conception of God. The question, this absolute consciousness and the relationship with God, it is basic ABCD for Vedanta philosophers, textbook written 700 years ago, clearly and precisely defined. What is God? What is the absolute? What is the relationship between them? Precisely defined, 700 years before Bradley. And that is just a summation of 5,000 years of tradition. This was very well known to them. But here, so the dons in Oxford are discussing. So this pure consciousness and God, are they the same thing? Are they different? What did Bradley say? Bradley himself was among those who thought it misleading to call it God. But his followers have disagreed. Although Bradley, this is important. What about Bradley and Vedanta? 
although Bradley seems to have had only a slight interest in Eastern religions. Indeed, he was of his generation in having a firm commitment to the superiority of Western culture. His view surely has affinity to the conceptions of the divine found in Vedanta Hinduism. He says it here. Clearly, Bradley was of an essentially religious disposition, we would say spiritual, but he was unsympathetic to the organized Christianity of his day. And he intimated that he felt a new religion might be needed and might come. Anyway, it goes on like that. But thank you for the question. Thank you. Yes. Dimitri? Dimitri? You need to unmute. Yeah. Yes. Uh, good evening, Swamiji. Um, mm -hmm. uh, a question, uh, like in Christianity and maybe in other uh, religions, there is this uh, saying that we are created in the image of God. Uh, is there a parallel of that in Vedanta? Oh, very precisely. Almost exact language. In Taitiri Upanishad, it's written, Tat Srishtva Tadeva Anupravishata. Having projected that, the Lord entered into all this. Uh, in this Vedanta Sara language, the Lord reflected himself in this. So the consciousness which we have, the reflected consciousness, is the very image of the original consciousness. It's literally so. But image of God does not mean a man with two hands and feet, especially a male person, that's the image of God. No, no, no. Image of God would mean in Vedanta, consciousness. Which consciousness? One which we feel now, this reflected awareness, this empirical awareness. It's a reflection of the original consciousness. I see. And uh, from this perspective, like uh, of first person view, nothing yeah. else exists, right? Yes. And you immediately, there would be another objection for philosophically trained people. They say, oh, is this solipsism? Uh, what That's is solipsism? A, solipsism means uh, only the first person view, only you exist or only I exist. Are you not saying that? So that's a, that's a kind of fault in philosophy. No, Vedanta is not solipsism. Only Brahman exists. And in that sense, we are all Brahman. So Vedanta actually from our perspective is affirming the existence of all of us, but saying that there is a deeper underlying reality to all of us. Yeah, it's, it's the primacy of the first person perspective, definitely. And that's what led Bradley to make such a statement. That you cannot jump out of the first person perspective. And thank God now we are living in an age where um, the first person perspective is being taken seriously. Hard problem of consciousness, etc. Consciousness studies itself and so on. All right then. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Oh, one more comment that Bradley made. I liked it very much. Uh, he says, see, this is a perfect philosophy he's talking about. The, his own philosophy of the absolute, which is I would say a sort of watered down version of Advaita Vedanta. By the way, Swami Bhuteshanandaji, uh, he had read Bradley thoroughly and he makes an interesting comment. He was fascinated by Bradley's approach to the world, how Bradley shows the paradoxical nature of the world. Bradley's book is Appearance and Reality. So first part, Appearance, where he shows logically the paradoxical nature of the world. It cannot be real. And then he, as a second part, Reality. So Bhuteshanandaji says, I was fascinated by the first part, the appearance, the jagat is mithya, the world is an appearance. But he says, when, we, when I came to reality, I realized, he says in Bengali, that Bradley Shahad Guli Felicin, that Bradley has stumbled badly there. Why stumble badly? What he did was, as you can see, the roots of the problem are already there in what he's saying. 
thoughts, volitions, feelings are the material of reality. No, they are not. When you do that, you'll end up with an absolute reality where internal differences will be there. And that's exactly what happened to Bradley. He came to his idea of the absolute, but the absolute is something like the Vishishtadvaita absolute, uh, where there are internal differences. All relations are subsumed within a unity. Very great attempt, tremendous attempt. But what I like about Bradley's uh, observation, he says, he says this is far superior to and this religion at that time, but he makes an observation which is of practical importance to us. He says, he urged one should not necessarily identify the truest philosophy with the best religion, since the latter being a practice rather than a theory may even flourish best on ideas which the philosopher cannot accept as literal truth. Very important here. He says something which may be perfect. So for example, Advaita Vedanta, I regard it, uh, it as a very rigorous philosophy, very clear, very logical. The more you understand it, the more you see it cannot be refuted. It's just obvious. And yet, the, all the questions we have, you notice they are practical questions. What do I do now? It doesn't work in real life. Um, you know, if you try to live it, you, you run, in, run into so many problems. He says there's a difference between the best philosophy and the best religion. So best religion, because it has a lot to do with our problems, psychological problems, physical problems, limitations. So that religion has to make allowance for all of that. So that's a very good insight. That's why a wholesome religion should be based on the truth, like Advaita, but then elements of karma and bhakti and meditation, all of those should be heartily welcomed. All right, I'll leave you with that thought. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Rapanamastam